BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following podcast may contain discussions supported by science that may be considered dangerous to some listeners and conspiracy theorists. Discretion is advised. The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Home delivery available in Regina at sassbeardelivery.ca. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the internet's only pro shoe throwing podcast. (laughs) I'm Joel Gasson with John Fraser as usual. And um, we got some things to talk about on this here episode. No question about that. Oh boy. As um, admittedly, the steam has kind of come off a little bit because it's been a few days since uh, the riders um, shot the bed. I guess the PC Lions, <laughs> shall we There's say? There's no other way to say it, Joel. There yeah. really isn't. Yeah, so we'll uh, get into uh, various storylines that came out of that game, as there are many, most of them involving the one side of the football. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd be remiss if we did not um, talk about something that happened in a game over the weekend. Uh, it was on Sunday afternoon between the Toronto Argonauts and the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, the Red Blacks basically picked up their first game of the year because finally someone did something dumber than them. As uh, I don't know the name of the player who did it, but an Argo uh, defensive lineman, I believe, or a linebacker, uh, tackled William Powell, ripping off his cleat, and then he gave it the old chuck down the field. Not quite as well as Marco Wilson did for the Florida Gators a few years ago against LSU, but he still gave it a throw, and... Um, that prevented Ottawa was going to have to settle for a field goal at that point. Uh, the sh- throw, the shoe, the shoe throwing, kept the drive alive, and it ended up in the Red Blacks remarkably scoring a touchdown, which ended up being uh, the game's winning score. So, bravo to the Argonauts who found the most dumb and chaotic way to hand the Ottawa Red Blacks their first win of the season, and uh, we couldn't be prouder of them, quite frankly. Um, well, I'm not because. <laughs> Although I, I, I do feel some pride that they basically proved that the Fraser curse is real. I mean, if once again, if your parlay is not going to work out, at least it didn't work out in entertaining fashion. No, that's fair. That's fair. I had a four game parlay this weekend that all came down to that Argos and Red Blocks game. I was texting you when the Argos went up. I thought, yeah, it's all good. It's fine. I'm going to make like 60 some bucks. We're like laughing and joking about I'm going to buy the beer when I see you in a couple weeks. And then somebody throws a damn shoe. Honestly, <laughs> who throws a shoe? Um, At least two. It's happened at least twice now that I could. I feel like there was a third shoe throwing recently in football. I believe it happened in the NCAA again after 
like a year or two after the Florida Gators one, but it wasn't quite as prominent. Like it feel, I feel like there was another, but I can't quite put my finger on it. But there's definitely been at least two in the last like three years, I believe, three or four years, and both of them ended up being like huge game-changing kind of penalties, I believe. And I believe the Florida one was especially funny when Marco Wilson threw the shoe because LSU was having a lost season. And Florida was, you know, kind of doing... They were doing well that year. And then they lost that game. And I believe that cost them a chance to go in the SEC championship game. So All because somebody <laughs> closed the shoe. So the yeah. lesson is, kids, no matter how fired up you are, how jacked up you are about tackling a guy by the feet and literally removing his shoe like you have a curt ankle, ankle lock on somebody... Just don't throw it. Place the shoe down, or you're going to screw up a whole bunch of people's parlays, such as myself. I already had that 62.50 spent. So um, let's find the player who did it and send him an invoice for 62.50. <laughs> it's the only way to resolve this. It's the only way to make the universe right. So you are right. The Fraser curse strikes again, but I am glad at least to see it. It was like an entertaining chaotic dumb sickos committee approved way to lose a football game yeah absolutely and um i mean it is a very fitting way for the ottawa red blacks to to finally get a win under you know truly bizarre circumstances i don't think <laughs> i don't think we could really have it any other way for i believe was what were they oh and seven oh and six before that uh they were oh and six and it's now, impossible to know how many games teams have played this year because the schedule is so weird. Yeah, it, it, it really is bizarre and bonkers. But uh, we should also mention 0-6 and yet one game out of a postseason spot. Mm -hmm. Or two what? points because, you know, yeah. points in the CFL and I hate that. It's, it's... garbage. And until a tie comes in play, it doesn't matter. It just wins. Yeah, but then a tie does. Then people start talking points. And even at that, like, you get Glenn Suter with his... Three minutes are awesome. Talking about the game resulting in points. Big guys doing big guy things. See, we're starting to see the formulation of the Glenn Suter drinking game. I'm not quite there, mm -hmm. but two points is part of it. Just yeah, makes, I wish the CFL... makes me feel dirty in football terms. Yeah, it does. I don't know. I, I guess they picked it up from hockey and it sticks, but I mean, yeah. I, I, it's honestly a thing I rarely ever see referenced. For the most part, when it comes to like the actual CFL standings, people generally mm -hmm. go by records because you get a tie maybe once every three years, and then it kind of comes into play. But even then, you could still figure it out by win percentage without the ties, right. with or without ties. So, I mean, they should, yeah, just just do away with points. But but Glenn Suter doesn't think so, Joel. So at least that is one of the like four pillars of the Glenn Suter drinking game that I will eventually stop procrastinating and come up with and actually it was funny until i mentioned that i didn't realize i was supposed to have some semblance of it ready for this week but here we are i mean we have very often not delivered on promises that we would say on this show <laughs> um you may not have noticed over the years is a bit of a sort of unintentional running bit where i talk about something we're going to talk about during that episode and then we just don't talk about it so <laughs> yeah 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 and, and i am squarely to blame for that for the million and one tangents i take us on and i feel like after the day i've had today today could be a very tangent filled episode and to you my dear co-host and friend i apologize for that that's uh, okay i mean we got we got lots to talk about lots of room to fill i mean i believe they're we're finally like 20 days between games or something like that for this team. So Fantastic. that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we're taking next week off. Uh, we're going to let you know now so you can start thinking and getting yep. your questions in. Uh, we are bringing back our most, maybe not most, our somewhat asked about episode. Mm -hmm. Mo our most 
average demand episode. <laughs> and it's because it's been a while. I honestly don't remember the last time we did it. I'd have to look back. It's probably during the off season sometime. Yeah. Uh, it's time for another episode of Ask John Anything. Uh, yes. Because generally speaking on this show, uh, we don't really preview the upcoming game all that much unless there's something very specific to talk about not our uh, thing we generally talk about stuff that's already happened not what might happen what is you know not what may happen the that coming week we talk more about what did happen and so you know this is the rider by week right now we have a game to talk about next week but we don't really have a game to talk about so right. barring something catastrophic like or huge like say craig dickinson is no longer the coach of this team next week or something like that um, we may not have a whole lot to talk about in terms of this team. That team being, of course, the Saskatchewan Roughriders. So, uh, either to me or John on Twitter, preferably me, because I like to surprise John with questions. Oh, they're the best when you surprise <laughs> me. Like, I actually stop looking at your replies because, like, a lot of them are, are juicy. I like my honest God reaction on them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the best part is, too, is similar to this week's episode, I get a solid buzz on before coming on. Yeah, so next week, uh, when we record, will be, I believe, our third or fourth rendition of Ask John Anything. It's our take on the mailbag episode where you don't ask us questions, you just ask John questions, and they can be <laughs> about literally anything to do with anything. doesn't necessarily have to be football-related. We actually, we prefer when they are not football-related. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I do, uh, especially because it gives me the chance to go off on some very random tangents and get my thoughts out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will have a chance to get your thoughts out today on uh, various topics as the Saskatchewan Rough Fighters have left us plenty to talk about after oh, that loss boy, to the British Columbia Lions. But as usual, before we get to all that, John, uh, for the Pile of Bones Brewing Company this week, what is in the glass? Well, thanks to the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, uh, right now as we stand, uh, I'm having a Partake Rattler. And the reason I say thanks to the Pile of Bones Brewing Company is because when you have a friend... It has a pool, and you offer to bring over a box of vodka water and some fried chicken. You end up getting a DD service home because neither you nor your wife can agree on who's going to drive home. You just assume the other one's going to do it. Next thing you know, it's 530. Both of you have a pleasant glow on, and you need to get your van full of kids taken home with a DD service. So we're on the partake now. Otherwise, it might get a little sloppy on here. Sloppier than usual. I was going to say, we wouldn't want you getting sloppy. That would be... No, that that never happens. But I, I will shout out First Choice DD Service. Um, if you're in a situation in which uh, after a couple beer garitas and uh, some pile of bones uh, rattlers, where you look at your significant other and both of you go, I thought you were driving this time. No, it's you this time. Um, yeah, First Choice. Great option. Uh, they don't judge you for, you know, that's the thing as a parent. You're like, are they going to like look down on me for like, getting my minivan full of kids home with a DD service. Nah, they had glow sticks for the kids. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's worse things you could certainly do to get them home, so. That's that's right. Like, I mean, send them in a balloon or something, or carrier <laughs> pigeon, or just leave them at my friend's house. I mean, all of which were discussed, but first choice is where it was at. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, um, I have one that I believe you had had before, actually. It's from up that way. Oh wow! Uh, I brought home a can because I made it. I put it on the single shelf at work. Um, the mm-hmm. pineapple pale ale from Homebound Brewing. Yes. Um, yes. it's one I figured we we have a good amount of it, so I'd like let's try it. Um, it's nice. It's uh kind of a it's more of like a straightforward fruit beer, which is nice every once in a while in this world of sorted sort of like fruit beers taking more of the sour route now. 
This right. is basically just straightforward. Here's beer. Here's, here's pineapple, and it's very pineapple-y. And uh, it's been hitting the spot in what's been uh, what's been a pretty hot summer. So Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's beautiful for that. I remember having mine in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely wish I had it in the summer. But, yeah, sticking with the party. I, I, I might, you know, I might get one of the boys to go into the fridge and grab me a beer, a real beer right now, like a Rebellion Amber. That'd be great, kids. Do you think boys, are you listening? I don't know if they're picking up on what you're putting down right now. Uh, they're both playing video games right now as uh, as part of the... Oh, you meant like we realized like that. <laughs> no, Max, please. There's a, Rebe- there's a Rebellion Amber in the fridge. You go grab it for me, buddy. I'll put it in the uh, golf ball, all right? Uh, Thanks, Max. That totally picked up. Oh, you meant in real life. I heard that loud and clear. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. It's like after my old other microphone broke... I owe you Kool-Aid Jammers. Is that the trade? I get my Rebellion Amber, the one with the dragon on it, and you get Kool-Aid Jammers? Yeah, and me too. Sure. Fill your boots. Let's go. All right. The caddy dragon. The, yes, the caddy dragon. But please close the fridge. Don't. <laughs> All right. Got the dragon. Boom. Done. Okay. That is in the golf ball. Okay. Boom. Done. All right. There is your dramatic play-by-play moment of the podcast of showing that this is, in fact, real life. Only the most professional of podcasting for this show. <laughs> I did warn you. I did. I know. I know. It's great. I think it's great. I, I think some background noise here. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I don't know what the listeners will think, but I think it's great. Ah, we've got our solid base. We were just kind of stuck with that. I, I feel like our listener base would enjoy that for sure. Uh, what they probably did not enjoy, at least the ones who are Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans, was. Um, it's outstanding. How do you how do you turn that chaos into that smooth of a transition? <sighs> that, I will never know, but I respect the hell out of it. Yeah, was that game, of course, on Friday night? Yeah, Friday night <laughs> against the PC Lions. It feels like it's been like a week since they played that game for some reason. I have no idea why, but it has. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was such a strange game where for. I think the first time this season, really, they they came out strong in the Europe. Yeah. Ten to one in the first quarter. You're thinking, okay, maybe maybe they finally figured something out. Maybe Cody Fajardo was the missing link, and he just need a little rest, and they're fine now. And then, <laughs> then when it was seventeen to four, it was just <laughs> from there out, essentially. Yeah, as 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 Max literally just said, <laughs> is the best way to put it. Uh, I, for a moment, because I have been very vocal, not only on last week's pod, but on social media with uh, fellow Three Down contributors, Josh Smith, Ryan Ballantyne, that I'm like, I know I, like, I was in about a dozen Lake of the Woods beers when I said we need to hit the panic button after the Montreal loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of dying on that hill. I think that I might have actually been right with hitting the panic button after that Montreal loss, because I think Joel, this team is in a lot of trouble. I I, I think the offensive line is not good. The offense is not good. Duke Williams is getting paid more money than any of us can imagine to drop every second pass thrown his way. And uh, if we edit it at all, I, I think this would be the time to hit the panic button. In fact, I'm going to pull up my go to video of the panic button here and blast into this microphone to try to give it, you know, that, that feel, because I think it is full on panic and I am going to double down. 
course, thanks to Tim and Sid and Sportsnet for the edit on that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make a dramatic pause, and there's Max going meow. Um, as I attempt to make that dramatic pause to say, I think they're going to miss the playoffs. I actually do think. I think they're going to miss the playoffs. I don't I think mean, Edmonton's it's, that it's... good. I just uh, Edmonton's got a cup. To, to, to use a college football term. They got a real cupcake schedule coming up here, and this was the Riders' kind of chance to prove that they're better than what we've seen lately. And they didn't. They look like crap. Yeah, I mean, missing the playoffs is definitely in the realm of possibility right now. I'm, I'm not, I'm not debating that. Um, I still think at the end of the day they'll find a way to be better than Edmonton. The question will be depend. It depends on how it's going to shake out in the East and whether some, you know, whether three teams can amass enough wins to kind of surpass sort of where the starting point was for this team this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, they are certainly far from safe. I, you know, I think it's safe to say at this point a home playoff game is definitely out of the question, barring oh, certainly barring something catastrophic. I mean, they did kind of get the first step in that with some help from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers who. You know, I know Ryder fans maybe don't want to cheer for the Bombers, but at this point, it's like, you may as well just hope they pull away and run away with this division at this point and beat the Stampeders, the Lions, every chance they get, because that's the only chance of this team climbing out of third place or fourth place and into a home playoff game at this point, is to get a lot of help and probably come pretty close to running the table the rest of the way, which looking at their schedule... Oh, boy. Would be Ooh, um, boy. would be quite a feat for even the best of teams in the CFL, let alone one that is middle of the packish, lower middle of the pack. I would say right now, um, because you said it, and I think you know we've had enough of a sample size for this offense now for this team, not only this year but going back to last year. We have you know a season and just over a third of the Jason Maz offense at this point and how it relates with the players they have and this team they have. And it's just not good enough. No. And it's not just Jason Maz. It's a variety of things. And I think that's the biggest problem right now when you look at it is, okay, you know, there are times in, you know, for teams when they struggle with things, you can pinpoint a thing and say, okay, they suck at this. If they fix this, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. There isn't this for the Saskatchewan Rough Fighters. I think number one, first and foremost, is, of course, the offensive line. But beyond that, I think even if you fix the offensive line, they'll be better. They'll be much better. But I still don't know if the offense is good enough to win with a good offensive line the way it is currently built and the way it is currently run by its offensive coordinator. Well, even before the season, we said that this Riders offensive line had a lot of top-end talent and depth would be the question. That depth is is being tested right now. And it's clear. The depth is not there. You know, Logan Furland, <laughs> we're both high on him. We're not high on him as a center. Um, Josiah St. John is a absolute bust. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And the thing that blows me away is Craig Dickinson is asked after the game, why'd you only run the ball twice in the second half? And he kind of goes, huh, why did we only run the ball twice in the second half? Like, mm-hmm. Something is going on there, and, and, and it is the Moss play calling. And when you have your players, like, you and I both know from covering this team, there's no player in the world that's going to come right out and say, I hate Moss's play calling, we need to do this more. But if you read between the lines, I forget who was on the post game show that basically said, yeah, 
we want to run the ball. It gets us into it. It was a lineman that said it. Um, but those are the you're getting. Logan Furlan was brought to the podium after the game. Okay, so yeah. I'm guessing it was Furlan to, that, that that said that. It might have been somebody on the CKRM post game show that you couldn't pay. No, post game show I'll listen to. The rest of it I won't. Um, they basically came out and said we want to run more. The coach is saying we want to run more, and there you have Jason Moss just taking their best offensive weapon essentially out of the game. Like mm. I've not defended Moss, but wondered. Is this, you know, him not running because the team is not built that way or... But we know the team is built that way. Like, we've seen them play well and succeed when they've had Jamal Morrow when a healthy Frankie Hickson in the lineup, both rushing for 50, 60, 100 yards. That's when they've been at their best and won games fairly easily. Yes, when when the old I formation comes out, the old, like, Mm. couple running backs, you got the French-Canadian fullback in there, and it blows me away that... You know, I, I think the casual person will say, well, you have to pass in the CFL. It's a passing league, blah, blah, you blah. Do. Well, you do to a point, to, for sure. It is to a degree, but we can, I think everybody's in agreement that the Blue Bombers and Stamps are the best two teams in the CFL this year. Mm-hmm. I watched every second of that game being the Blue Bombers fan. I am. Yeah. Um, both teams ran the ball 20 plus times. They used it to, to mix up tempo. They did lots of great things with running the ball. Even in, you know, the Red Blacks, a big key of of their success, finally picking up their first win, was running the damn ball. Like, you have to pass ball in the CFL, but you can't just abandon the run. Well, yeah, because here, yeah, we want to get into that. Okay, so, you know, everyone talks about the day Nathan Rourke had, of course, and deservedly so. 27 for 33, 336 yards, two touchdowns. Compare that to Cody Fajardo, who was 18 of 27 for 168 yards, one TD, one touchdown. Well, BC still rushed for 97 yeah. yards as a team. Yes. James Butler was 19 rushes for 77 yards. Not the most spectacular number, but they still stuck with it. They ran the ball. Right. The Riders, 8 of 47 for Jamal Morrow. Well, that's, that's a crazy <laughs> stat. And he had the one long run in the first half, and you thought, okay, here we go. They're going to get into that. And that was pretty much the last time Morrow touched the ball a game, it felt. Which is which is absolutely ridiculous. And if we and I and I don't even know if it's necessarily they need the okay, they need to run the football more, but they just need to involve Jamal Morrow in every way. Yes, he was four for four as a receiver for thirty nine yards, matching Duke Williams' output, who was five for eleven. Oh God! And you can of course you can question some of the throws that were made to Duke Williams. Some of them weren't great, no question. But when you're paid the money he is paid, you were not paid to drop the ball six times no. in a game. No, oh, sorry. Like, okay, Keon Schaefer-Baker had a couple drops, but he's on a rookie deal. Same with Justin McInnes. Same with Tevin Jones. You're like, okay, we would like to see those catches made, but when you're paid nearly three hundred grand, sorry, you should be making a lot more of these catches. Right, but I mean, we're talking Schaefer-Baker, two drops. Yeah. As you mentioned, he's young. McInnes with a drop, Jones with a drop. That's still like almost half the drops of Duke Williams himself. And I never for a second would have questioned the signing of Duke Williams no. or the re-signing of Duke Williams in this off season. But like, what this thing has hell? gone sideways with him in a hurry. There's no question about it. Oh, absolutely. I don't need if, which I'm trying to think of it as the, re- the replacements of the longest yard. There's a scene where they just cover a guy's hands and stick them. Uh-huh. That needs to happen with Duke Williams. <laughs> It like, feels we like need it to draw seems. inspiration from Adam Sandler movies to get Duke Williams to catch the damn ball. Like, 
And, and, and that's the thing. Like, there's so many broken things with this offense. Yep. And they can't win them a game. No, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm, and like to be fair, and like I'm actually proud of most people who have come forward after that game. And you know, when a situation where a team gives up 28 straight points, generally the focus kind of goes to the defense. Right. I haven't heard a single fan or anyone talk about the defense. No, despite the fact, because I mean that BC Lions team is going to score points. We all do that going into that game. So it was up to the offense to respond. And the defense will probably still tell you they would have liked to have had a few more stops, no question about it. They're going to be good teammates and say that. The fact remains that this falls on the offense. It's followed on the offense since the start of last season. And something drastically has to change. So I hope to hell, if you're a fan of this team, that this coaching staff is figuring this out over the bye week. Because obviously they can't practice, the players can't practice, but the coaches are going to be in there working. Mm-hmm. And something needs to get figured out one way or the other, or I I don't know where this goes. Well, and I'm glad nobody is blaming the defense because that is spot on correct. When the time of possession, thirty six to twenty four. Yeah, and like it happened the week before too, but against the Toronto Argonauts in that game, you could sit there and you could say, okay. They were playing with their third-string quarterback. They were missing, you know, allegedly their best receiver. They were missing, you know, they're still missing a good chunk of the defensive line. They're missing that. Half the team had COVID. Um, you know, their whole week was thrown into chaos with, you know, they didn't know if they, when they were going to practice, if they were going to practice, if they were going to play. That whole thing, that whole game, the way that ended was a bit of a write-off for me. You can wrap right. your head around the fact that they did. They got two yards of offense in the fourth quarter in the against the Toronto Argonauts in that game. The fact that it basically happened the next week with Duke Williams in the lineup, with Cody Fajardo in the lineup, with a normal week, that is setting off loud sirens in my head that is like, this is broken right now. Yes, and and, and you and I are both on the record of saying that BC is good. I think they're good, but they're not, they're not Winnipeg or Calgary. They're not what the record says they are, right? The, I the mean... writers at playing their best, whatever that is right now, I don't know. But a health, a fully healthy rider team playing good football can beat the BC Lions. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and BC squeaked out a couple wins. They played some tight games against teams that maybe shouldn't be that close, but still, the riders did not look. And it all comes down to, and you reference it in the good, the bad, and the dumb. I texted you the second that Alford ran that ball out, which yeah. led to the safety. I'm like, turning point? Yeah. Because I mean, everyone I, knew I, it at the time, too, but yeah. It's rare, though, that I get things right. And I seem <laughs> to be on a roll of doing that lately, minus my own damn picks with my own money on the line. But it's... You could just tell. That that, that mm-hmm. safety given up a couple plays after that boneheaded decision, after Alford, yeah. you know, killed any chance of a comeback... Uh, against the Argos in that shorthanded game. Like, it just, you could see the momentum shift. Um, and again, I'm watching on TV. I couldn't imagine what the, what the, what the stadium was like. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to, to, to stick with the BC Lions. What happens if they lose to Edmonton? You, did you know if they lose to Edmonton by 11 points or more, they technically overtake fourth in the division? I did not. I, I don't know. I could I could see it happening. I just... Eh, I'd be surprised. I know I've been on this for a while. I just think that 
the Riders playing down and coming back to Edmonton has given the Elks new life. Like, you look at the comments out of that room, it's no longer, like, and I get you had all the cuts and everything, but you look at the comments coming out of G. Roy Simon, out of everybody in that organization, they've gone from, yeah, ho-hum, we're going to play decent, to, yeah, we can make the playoffs. It's like this Riders team shooting themselves in the foot several weeks in a row has all of a sudden given new life to the Elks that we all kind of thought were going to be an afterthought this year. And now they go at BC and then the home and home with the Red Blacks. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Well, we'll have to see where it actually comes of it. Um, I'm still not entirely convinced of the Elks, but hey, I mean, I've been wrong about things before. There's no question about that. To me, what sort of stands out to me is like the most puzzling piece of this whole thing that I just can't wrap my head around. And it's not that the offensive line hasn't been good. Mm-hmm. It's that Jeremy O'Day, right. who is, you know, one of the, you know, a top offensive lineman in this league at one point, is the guy in charge of building this roster and didn't really, I mean, I don't know if like the retirement of Matt Riley kind of threw him off guard or if they were really expecting Brennan Labatt to come back. I don't know. But you would expect more from a guy who was an offensive lineman and understands the offensive line play to bolster an offensive line that wasn't very good last year. You could forgive him last year. Brennan Labatt kind yeah. of retired last minute. There was COVID things. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It's like, okay, let's see what we got and we'll go from there. And there was nothing that necessarily suggested what they got, what they had last year was that great. Um, of course, the injury to Dan Clark throws mm-hmm. things into a wrench a little bit, but regardless, every team has injuries and a lot of teams tend to figure it out. I mean, there was one year the Calgary Stampeders were still good, missing basically their entire offensive line to injury, for God's sakes. Well, remember, they, they, they switched a defensive lineman to an offensive lineman middle of the game and still won, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, that happened. Like, <laughs> I... I... So, like, the, the fact that, and so to me, that, I mean, I'm not suggesting that Jeremy O'Day should be losing his job over this, but the shine is definitely off. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of questions about this regime right now. Um, I think at the very least, barring some kind of, you know, major turnaround the rest of this season, we're probably looking at, I would say, at least a new offensive coordinator next year. Um, I think Craig Dickinson needs to kind of do some self-scattering himself and sort of you know, he gets another correct kick at the can, I would say. Mm-hmm. But the seat is going to probably be very hot next season if this doesn't turn around in a lot of different ways. And then, yeah, then that falls again to Jeremy O'Day, and then it falls to Craig Reynolds as well. The whole thing all the way up the chain is kind of bumbled through this entire sort of mess, starting all the way to the Garrett Marino thing. Yeah. And it was, was Daryl Davis on the Green Zone postgame show as I was driving home was saying it all kind of started with that. It all kind of started with the organization kind of trying to quietly shovel that under the rug rather than coming out and just letting everyone be accountable for it. Right. Where they left Craig Dickinson and Cody Fajardo essentially holding the bag for all this stuff. Instead of, it's like, okay, Garrett, you got to go out today and you got to talk. Yeah. Or after the touchdown line to K Duke, you got to get out there and get right. ahead of this and finish this. And I think, yeah, they probably rolled out Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson into the media too late as well. I would agree. I would agree on all of that. And I, I don't even think that it falls so much. And and this will go – I'm going to go into a wider issue here. Yeah. Who the hell is scouting for this team? And, I mean, that's that's a whole other thing. And, I mean, I took a little flack from a few people when one day I said to Alex of Piffle's Pod, I was like, 
I don't think they have very good receivers. No. And to be fair, I should have been a little more clear. I think they have some I think they have some good Canadian receivers. Yes. I think they've done fairly well in finding, you know, sort of B plus A minus quality Canadian receivers. Mm-hmm. They haven't found an American receiver since the Chris Jones era because eventually, immediately, people were like, "Oh, what about Shaq Evans or Kyron Moore?" I'm like, "Well, that was under the Chris Jones era." Yes, they found those guys: Jeremy yeah. O'Day, Craig Dickinson, whoever you know. Paul Jones, I believe, is still a part of this group right now. And where is you know where's sort of where's the Dalton shown? Where are these guys that yes. you don't expect to be good that suddenly show up and you know just show out and make plays and ball out and you just haven't seen that from an American receiver on this team. No, they, he... The only way they could shore up the American receiver was to, you know, throw a dump truck of money at Duke Williams. And and that is then when you do that, when you're forced to do that, it backfires on you, right? Yeah. And I, and I mean, I can tell you as a Bomber fan, <laughs> before I started playing this year, I had no idea who the hell Dalton Schoen was. No, like, no one did. And I'm a, and I'm a diehard watch way too much stuff Bomber fan, and I had no idea who this guy was, and. He's probably the rookie of the year. And like you said, and you said it on social media, and I agree with you 100% because I was even texting you during the Blue Bombers and Calgary game pointing out, like, Calgary's entire stable of, like, American players are homegrown. Same with Winnipeg, minus, you know, basically Greg Edlinson. But when you're bringing in one guy to compliment, it's different than having to bring in guys to patch holes, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I like Jeremy O'Day. I, I think his strength... And where his hands seem to be is on finding that Canadian talent. And yeah. and I know the regime's going to be facing some pressure, but to me, Jeremy O'Day's expertise is, is finding guys with Canadian passports, and he has done a good job of that. Josiah St. John was an absolute, like, flop. Matlin, Riley, I get it. You can't predict a guy retiring to go become a police officer when you're drafting him, right? But... It's it's it, it, and and again we all joke that the easiest the easiest parts to replace on most CFL teams are defensive American defensive linemen and American receivers because there are literally thousands of them coming out of college every single year mm-hmm. and the Riders are so far going about over four thousand on finding them since Chris Jones was here right so yeah it's 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 almost it's almost amazing how they can't find anybody right like to and, me... and in fairness like i think they found some guys who are okay i think mm-hmm. they just they have a stable of receivers that are all sort of the same guy there isn't that guy that's going to necessarily take the top off the offense there isn't that guy that's necessarily going to go up and catch a ball eight feet in the air one-handed there right. isn't you know there isn't sort of that change the game kind of receiver on the team right now or at least the guys who are can do that are injured but that's not an excuse lots of teams have to deal with that or they're just not living up to their potential right now in duke williams right so you know it's it's a problem for this team and it's a problem and i granted at times i think cody fajardo has plateaued quite hard Um, Mm -hmm. granted his injury isn't helping but he hasn't really progressed along the line we saw from his 2019 season no. So he may be what he is at this point, which is kind of a pretty good quarterback, but not truly elite. But I'll give him a bit of a pass because his athleticism and his mobility is a big part of his game right now, and it's just not there. So I'm no. not willing to totally 
write the book on Cody Fajardo just yet until I see him back at 100%, which may not be till next season at this point. Right. But but at one point, like... And this is a name I've texted you before. At what point are you not seeing what Matt Nichols is up to? To let Cody get healthy. If it's not, if it's not a tear, if it's a sprain or a strain like we're led to believe... The only thing that is possibly going to get that better is rest and rehab. Getting hit in the leg behind a porous offensive line is not going to do that. I just I think Matt Nichols off the top of my head because well in he's July the... he told Shed that he was done playing football. So all right, so now we we know. <laughs> I, I just up. looked that up now just to make sure. Um, well, I, that's what I appreciate yeah. about you. You know, well, I, I get the spicy takes, but. And that's the problem is there's not a lot of quarterback. Nobody's going to trade you a quarterback at this time of the year just to just to hold no. the fort. So, so do you go do you go with Mason Fine and fall out of a playoff spot and hope to bring it back when Cody's better in three to four weeks? Like it's it, it just it, again this comes down to the U.S. scouting department that you can't find a game breaking receiver so you have to pay for one. You can't find they they found good defensive linemen. Give them all the credit. Mm. They've the been good. Back. They've been pretty good on defense. No question. They found great defensive players, but offensively, they can't find receivers. Seems like they can't find a quarterback that they can trust because here's They're not right at running back. Way. I'll give them that. Right. Right. No. No, I mean, yeah, Morrow came out of nowhere, and, and, and we appreciate that, but you got to give them credit where credit's due, but you yeah. got to friggin' use them. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, to me, it's all very telling that if, if you take, if you look at the quotes, the postgame quotes, if you read them at face value, it's, yeah, we need to run the ball more. But when you look underneath the guys that are saying it, and, and and the one that got to me was Craig Dickinson's reaction when he was asked basically immediately after the game on the CKRM postgame show before he's had time to think and collect his thoughts. Why didn't you run the ball more? And he's going, huh, maybe maybe we should, right? Like, you've yeah. got a playmaker and more, and you're not getting him the ball. So, I don't there's a lot that's wrong with this team and mm. I am firmly in the hit the panic button. You're missing the playoffs camp. It's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And when you're talking big picture of, you know, a year where the team is hosting the great cup and granted, this isn't, this isn't the same pressure put on the organization as it was in 2013. Right. Um, but when having any, any team in the CFL, except maybe the Toronto Argonauts, when you host <laughs> a great cup, there is an expectation that you are at least very good that year from yes. probably the organization. Well, the organ every organization expects to be very good every year. So that's for sure. Except but Ottawa. I mean, but I mean from, you know, from the fans and from media and that sort of thing, when a team hosts a great cup, there's generally the expectation of saying, okay, you should do everything in your power to be very good this year. Yes. People can understand that the chances of you getting there and actually winning it are pretty slim, but you should at least be in the running for it at the end of the day. And it's fair to say, even if this team makes the playoffs right now, I would say cr crossing over to the East or not, to me, this is a team that's won and done in the playoffs. And that's that's probably just not good enough in a Grey Cup year. Yep. And um, that falls on the shoulders mostly of Jeremy O'Day. I think it falls kind of on the shoulders a little bit of Craig Dickinson as well and some of the decisions he's made. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, there's certainly questions to be had there as well in terms of, I mean... At the end of the day, I guess we don't know how much roster decision power he gives to his coordinators in terms of, you know, who starts on offense and defense and that sort of thing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, that falls on your shoulder, whether you give your coaches autonomy on that or not. You still have the power to override them if you wish. And at this point, I mean, 
Tevin Jones has looked pretty good in small sample sizes. Where right. was he all year? We've this is you know dating back to Naaman Roosevelt. This team has a history of doing this for some reason. <laughs> and you know the other end of the spectrum, we talk about the offensive line a lot. They're paying Jamal Campbell a pretty decent change, from what I understand, to sit on the bench. And this right. guy was supposed to. I haven't to, even heard his name. This Did guy was supposed COVID? to be. I have no idea what the deal is with this. No one seems to know. This is a guy that was, by all accounts, pretty good for Toronto. Was cut yeah. for salary cap purposes, and now for some reason can't even get ahead of Josiah St. John on this team. And no offense to Josiah, who actually played a decent game against BC, but I mean, what's going on here? What is the deal with this guy? Like he can't be worse than a Tay Rogers at this point. No, no, I mean, <laughs> and that he, helps he you ratio wise. If, if you can roll out a Canadian right tackle, that just only further helps your ratio. Not that they have any good Americans on an offense other than Morrow and Hickson, but right. at this point in time until Evans and Moore come back. But, you know, these are all little things. And this is the, you know, I think this is the all sort of floats back to the original point here is there isn't necessarily one sort of fatal flaw on this team. There is just a bunch of sort of, you know, death by a thousand cuts going on right yeah. now where there is just a pile of different things happening that is just sort of making the whole thing cave in where it's, these are all a lot of, some of these things were things they could try and do differently. And if you're still losing, then you're like, okay, there is a core fundamental problem here. Like, let's say they come out of the break that game against Edmonton and they give Jamal Morrow and Frankie Hickson, you know, a combined 25 touches. They run the ball. Well, they bring in Jamal Campbell to play for Rogers. Um, you know, the receivers, all, all the receivers come back from injury. Everything looks okay, and you still lose. Then okay, we have clearly a fundamental problem, but we can start to narrow it down to at least what the issue with this team is at this point, rather than trying to figure, you know, trying to find the you know the proverbial na- needle in the hay- haystack right now. I completely forgot about Jamal Campbell, and I don't know if that's because I've been at my buddy's place, you know, having some beer garitas and stuff today, but like. You're right. Like, that's not a small sound. Like, is he just, like, vastly out of shape? Like, does he look like me with my tarp off in a pool? Like, what is going on? Like, because he was good a year ago. He was a good player for the Toronto Argonauts. And, again, I, you know, all jokes aside, I might be able to be a good player for the Toronto Argonauts these I mean, they days. did finish first in East last year. Right. And all of a sudden, like, you pay him a bunch of dough. He was a signing I was excited about, and he has now completely disappeared to the point that after about four and a half beer garitas, I can completely forget about him. So, meanwhile, as you brought in Tay Rogers, and I have no, I do not try to ever claim to be a football analyst or an expert no. or anything, but I watch a lot of football, and he sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hate to judge. Like, I hate to make him our new Sam Hurl, but. That guy sucks at football. Yeah, I mean, plucking a guy to kind of to try and improve your offensive line off a bad offensive line, off a historically bad football team in the Ottawa Red Blacks from last year is maybe not the best idea. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but again, comes down to scouting. Like, I just, I, I, I... I... Like, I, I, don't, I, I... I don't know if they're just sticking with it because because that's how they want their ratio to work. And that's why Campbell hasn't made its way on and they maybe don't want to play him a guard. They think he's a tackle. So, but I mean, we've seen other teams, you know, BC shored up their offensive line by going three Americans. Yes. And I think they have the, they being the riders have the Canadian depth elsewhere 
to yes. do it. They could roll out, you know, once healthy, all of them. You know, I mean, you could go with Keon Schaefer Baker, with Mitch Pickton, and with Justin McInnes at receiver. You could do three Canadians and three offensive linemen who are American and still make the ratio work that way. Yes. So I, why I, wouldn't you at this point? Like, there's no reason to then, okay, say, okay, maybe we need to helicopter in some NFL cuts here if that's the best we can do at this point because something has to get done. And we've talked about this on this show before where the offensive line is probably the number one concern. It would fix a lot of what ails them, not everything, if the line started playing better. But as we've talked about before, it is so difficult to improve an offensive line midseason. Oh, God. It is... It, 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 it. I would argue that might be the hardest thing in any sport mm-hmm. to replace. And I mean this like NFL, CFL, you know, you don't see offensive linemen trades for a reason. You see them moved in the offseason, things like that, right? Like it's just like you don't and it's almost it's it's like a lack of creativity. It's almost like the riders are going, Well, everybody else goes, you know, Americans at left and right tackle and and and, and Canadians in the middle, so we should do the same thing rather than I mean <laughs> rather than doing what maybe they should. Like, let's face it, the Montreal Alouettes of, of, of their heyday had five Canadian offensive linemen. That probably ain't happening again. So no. let's look at this team, get creative. You mentioned those great Canadian receivers. Like, I, hell, they're catching more balls than Duke these days. Yep. Like, And Braden Linnaeus is out there again right now. Just saying. Yes, that's... And it's not before Labor Day. I mean, I, I, if this is a drastic move, but do you let Duke go? If you can get Linus and some offensive line help? I mean, though, I saw the question on Twitter that someone brought up, would you trade Duke Williams for offensive line help? And I think, or I guess in this case, you're suggesting cut him and then sign someone. But either way, whichever way you look at it, I think at this point, the question, the answer is emphatically yes. Um, yes. I think we're, you know, I think the, the cap savings going forward. Um, Linnaeus is Canadian. Linnaeus is Canadian, of course. And I don't even think necessarily whether they get Brady and Linnaeus by removing Duke Williams or not doesn't matter. Um, you know, it's would you do something with Duke Williams to improve the offensive line, period. Yes, yes. And I yes. think the question is, the answer is emphatically yes, one yeah. way or the other, because for cap reasons, for play reasons, for... I think increasingly locker room reasons, on-field reasons, there's a lot to consider at this point, and it may be time close. The time may be coming if things don't improve to sort of cut your losses there and sort of move on. Well, and and the reason I said cut him in favor of Linnaeus and offensive line help, because I think you bring in Linnaeus, now you have another Canadian spot on that already great Canadian depth. You can go back to the you know, the 07, 08 days of the Canadian Air Force that they used to have here and go with more Americans at the offensive line because the Canadians along there, you know, uh, to, to me, you go throw, you go three Americans, Clark slash John, you go Johnson and Furland. Like that's your Canadians, Johnson and Furland until Dan Clark is ready. And then at Dan, when Dan Clark is ready, you have depth in that position again, right? Like they need to do something. Moss also needs to pull his head out of his ass. But uh, it's 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 bad because, like, as you've said several times, it's not like you're looking at one issue. You're looking at no. so many issues. And, and, and I'm just glad that uh, for once in our lives, Joel, we've been saying, even when they were playing well, that the, the, the rot was coming from underneath, that we might actually be right. And for once in my life, I might go, get to go on social media and say, ha, 
That was correct. I called it. Yeah. Sorry, Ryder fans, but it'll be a new day for me, and I'm looking forward to it. Or hail, now I've just ultimate Fraser cursed them, and they're about to go on a massive run that'll see them bury my Blue Bombers three times this year. Either way. Either way, it's going to be interesting and entertaining one way or the other. I think um, one thing I think we can all agree on at this point mm-hmm. is whoever between Winnipeg and Calgary represents the Grey Cup in the West, we've talked about this on the show before, they're going to lose to like an 8-10 and 10 Ottawa Red Blacks or <laughs> Hamilton Tiger Cats or something, right? Like that's coming. Oh, 100%. 7-11 Hamilton Tiger Cats winning the Grey Cup. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.